I fought a good fight. I finished my football race. And after 18 years, it's time. Basketball players, we're really supposed to shut up and dribble, but I'm glad, I'm glad we do a little bit more than that. Eventually, every ball would go flat, but that doesn't mean that your life will flatline. What will you do when the game is over? Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 22 of The Endless Hustle. It is our second episode of the new year. I am Bro Bible's Matt Cohan, and I'm joined, as always, by my main man, Arthur Cade. On today's episode, we are talking to one of the NBA's most unique personalities, Ennis Cantor. But before we do that, it's always important to take stock in what you have. And from a standpoint, Arthur, as a friend, I consider a friend, I want to know what your new year's resolutions are and if you're committed to them a week into 2021 my new year's resolutions oh boy um well first of all i'm gonna be 43 in may i can't believe i just said that fucking out loud that just scared the shit out of me but i'll be 43 in may as you know matt i've been working out like a beast lost 30 pounds over the last year and i've kind of had this vision in my head of taking and reproducing an old modeling picture of a towel around me and nothing else that I took. I've like, seen that I, picture. Yeah. That is fucking, a sex. That that's this, that's the kryptonite sex kryptonite, right? I'm there. telling you, it's like Adonis. So <laughs> I've been working towards that shape, although I'm not there yet, but not that far off. And I want to recreate that picture. That's one new year's resolution. But so far this year, my workouts have sucked. I ate three slices of pizza yesterday. So uh, not moving in the right direction, Matt. <laughs> Number two is, as I mentioned, I'm 43, so at some point I've got to think about marriage and kids. That being said, probably getting serious with somebody and kind of heading down the marriage path like you're doing at the moment, I guess it's time. I guess being a playboy is uh, coming to an end. So did I just say playboy? That sounded so bad, but being a bachelor is coming to an end. Wish I was a playboy. So those are probably my two biggest ones outside of just spend more time with family continue to crush it with this this series and success health hope happiness all the good shit i feel you man and that about settling down there's hey the grass is always greener you know commitment is a struggle it's work it's worth more than any kind of vapid desire that you would fill some short-term need. That's what I'll say to you. And, you know, this is coming from a guy who's engaged, so I've completely bought into this. But I would say that my New Year's resolutions here is just, it's more ambiguous. It's more just about perspective. You know, it's about, I think one thing this this pandemic has done is been like, hey, what's really important? Who's really important? What do I enjoy? What can I cut out? And, you know, if there's one positive thing to come of that, it's like kind of, stripped everything down to the bolts and nuts and hopefully i can continue to keep that mindset going forward because i feel like i do a lot of things that don't make me happy i just do them out of habit and i feel like you know working out more when i'm when i'm running more I'm, my mental health is better you know giving to more to this podcast and making it the best it can be and stuff like that so i think that's kind of where where I'm at and hopefully just that mindset I can keep keep going in 2021 but enough off my soapbox it's funny I was just watching the NFL this weekend and seeing Tom Brady having all the success that he's having I'm like man if that guy can do it at my age I'm doing it all so oh dude it. you're you know come on you're you look dude I've known some 40 what are you 61 <laughs> <No, I'm- laughs> you look great dude age is age is 
whatever for every everyone ages you know you should count your lucky stars that you know you made it this far no i'm i'm blessed dude i do i look like i'm 30 years old so yeah no, compl- no complaints you shouldn't have told all of our listeners that you're 43 people were like oh he's probably you know early 30s mid my future wives want older men being the silver-haired fox now although i'm still have a full head of dark hair but being the silver-haired fox is is an advantage these days i embrace it as you should. See, that's the mindset we need going in 2021. And we have a good episode for you guys today. Ennis Cantor was awesome to talk to. We talked to him in his hotel room, which he's staying in the entire season. But I really enjoyed this one, Arthur. Yeah, he's definitely one of the most likable guys in the league. What I love about Ennis, he's like a throwback. Like I grew up with 80s and 90s basketball. He reminds me of those guys. And you can kind of tell that And I think he kind of talked about it. He's not a big fan of how soft the NBA is right now. And he is just that throwback, that bruiser, that all hustle, let me throw an elbow at your face, but not get fined for it type player. And I love that. The other thing that I really loved with him, Matt, is I knew enough about his story, but not as much as we got into during this, this series which is that his exile from Turkey, how the government of Turkey had declared him and his family terrorists, and he's now exiled. And the, the, the toll that something like that takes, here's a guy, and we talk about it during this episode, he's made over $90 million, right? Like he has a life on paper that anybody would give their right arm to have. And yet the guy can't even really communicate with his family. He literally is living in hotels, like you had mentioned, throughout the season, So as great as something looks from the outside, you realize that everybody's kind of dealing with their own thing. And for Ennis, it's fueled his participation in causes, social causes like Black Lives Matter and so many other things that the NBA is doing. And you got to respect the guy for that. Yeah, 100 percent. Like, that's a good point, because if I have like an argument with my betrothed, it like throws off my whole day. I can't imagine like feeling like your native country is hunting you being excommunicated from your family living in a best western or something or comparable hotel and then having to go out and participate and compete with some of the top athletes on the planet i mean the mindset that that must take is just so underappreciated or under talked about and i think we really kind of scratch that itch in this interview yeah the other thing that i really loved when we were chatting with ennis was we always obviously get in with our talent for those who don't know what talent means it means our guests we always get into it with our guests about what they're doing off the court off the field outside of whatever their vocation is with ennis his post basketball life is about as interesting as we've ever heard he was dead serious he wants to be a wwe superstar when he's done He even gave us his picked out name, which I'm still not sure about, but, and you guys will see this. He got to meet his idol, the undertaker, and he pulled out his phone during our interview and started showing us the videos and the pictures. And to say that he was giddy, like a little kid. Again, here's a man who's made over $90 million. He plays in the NBA, plays against LeBron, KD, Kyrie, you know, the best of the best. And for him beating the undertaker was like, a lifelong, I made it to the top of the mountain moment. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I mean, we're all kids at heart, Arthur. <laughs> Aren't we all even right? For, even 42 year olds. Yeah, right. Without further ado, here is Portland Trailblazers center, Ennis Cantor.
right. We are very happy to have on the Endless Hustle podcast today, NBA veteran, WWE star, activist, and newly minted Portland Trailblazer round two, Ennis Cantor. Ennis, thanks for joining. Thank you guys for the invite. I appreciate it. As a Boston fan, I was truly sad to see you go because I'm not sure that the team will ever get another offensive rebound again. So thank you for that. We all that all time. I appreciate it, man. I had an amazing time there. Hey, it's it, it was a blessing to play for an organization like like Boston. Yeah, can we just can we just figure out why Danny Ainge just keeps stocking up on six four to six six guys and letting Ennis go? go? Like, what's going on over there? <laughs> Um, I mean, it's a different kind of mindset, man, but I, I know I believe in their system. You know, they, they're going to be very successful in East. You're back reunited with the Blazers. You've had success with them just two years back, going to the first conference finals in, what, 20 years for that team? Yeah. What is your mindset like at the moment, uh, and how does Ennis Cantor feel now that he's on the other end of the country? It's like God sending me back to Portland, man, because if you go back to 2015, I signed my offer sheet with uh, Portland and OKC match. You know, then two years ago, uh, after the Knicks, you know, obviously I uh, signed with Portland. Now I'm back again. So I'm like, God, just sending me back here. There, there must be a reason. But uh, no, man, I, I'm really excited, man. I'm, I, to, today, the guys are slowly coming in, and I think it's going to be an uh, amazing experience for me. Ennis, I got to know about Dame's rapping skills. Is he like walking around the locker room freestyling? I mean, how much do you get to see him busting and spitting? No, no. Whenever he walks in a uh, in a practice, it's all about business for me now. I'll be honest with you. I played with him like a whole second half of the season two years ago. I did not hear him rap one time. It's crazy, right? Yeah, I did not hear him rap one time. He's not sharpening up his skills. I mean, he's gonna lose it. No, I mean, I mean I'm sure he. I'm sure he does that at home or something. But like, but he, whenever he steps on a court, man, it's all about business for him. He doesn't uh, mess around. What makes him such a good leader? Every time you hear NBA players, he's at the top of that board where they say right. best leaders in the league. What makes Dame such a great leader? One thing about him is like, you know, I play with a lot of superstars, obviously, you know, like Russ and KD and Kemba, Tatum, Brown, whatever. Uh, one thing I love about, you know, Dame, he makes himself better and he makes everybody else better around him. And I'm not just talking about his teammate. I'm talking about, you know, the organization, the city, the state. I mean, you see now, well, like why, uh, why the whole organization of building building around Dame. When you play with a guy like Dame, you just automatically you become a better player, you know. So I'm I'm, I'm excited to uh, be be in this team for sure. Let's rewind about ten years because your path to the NBA was anything but standard. Not being able to play in college, then being selected third overall over guys like Kawhi and Clay. It took you some time to get your sea legs under you in the first couple seasons before coming on strong in Utah and OKC. Was there a moment that you can remember when you realized the NBA was a totally different animal? You know, my first game, I was during the, during the, after the lockout, was uh, against Kobe Bryant against Lakers at Staples Center. And uh, I remember I'm on a bench. I'm just watching. I did. I wasn't watching the game. I was watching Kobe the whole time. I did not care about the game because obviously I grew up as a Lakers fan. So I was just watching Kobe the whole time. And the coach called my name. I stepped in the game. I was just so nervous. I was like, man, if I if I could do this. So one of my team and I remember shot the ball, missed it. I got an offensive rebound, and so I'm on a free throw line. Right. I'm dribbling the ball, and everyone waiting for me to uh, take the free throw. I'm like, looking one side is Kobe, looking the other side, a whole step to center. 
You see Paul Gasol, Andrew Bynum was in that team. So uh, I missed the first one. I was just so nervous. The second one, I made it. I'm like, I better get used to this. That game, I don't know how much Kobe dropped. Maybe 1,000 or 1,000 points. I can't remember. <laughs> but like my first like welcome back to live, uh, welcome to league moment was my, my bad first game one of the things that i just heard alex caruso say who's become one of my favorite players in the league Uh that he said his transition from the g league to the nba the reason he was able to make it was because most guys in the g league don't are applying for a position in the nbas if they want to be ceo or coo but what they don't realize Mm -hmm. is you need to figure out how to be a janitor just to get a job You've kind of right. built your career in that mindset. You realized, all right, I'm going to be a grinder. I'm going to be an offensive rebounder. The chances are, if I put you in a pickup game in Chelsea Piers, you'd destroy every fucking person on the court. But then in the NBA, everyone's so great. You're, right, you've right, got to right. figure out your role. So my question to you is, when did you kind of figure out that you had to be the janitor and what your role was going to be? I mean, like you said, man, you got to find your role. Well, like, what is your role? Obviously, not everyone can be can be like Russ or Katie or Dane or LeBron, you know? So you got to find your uh, find your position, find your role, and uh, you got to figure out what you're comfortable with. You know, I think my, my first three years in the league, I was just trying to find out, like, who I am, you know? I mean, I have uh, obviously just come in the league, especially not playing college, and I couldn't play high school or, or college. And after the uh, lockout, it was uh, I was very uh, rusty, so I was just trying to get the uh, rust off. But um, I think my fourth, third or fourth year in the league, I'm like, you know what? I was just getting like, I looked at my uh, average. Now, I, I don't look at my averages. And then uh, I was talking to one of my assistant coaches and he's like, he showed me my uh, averages and showed me about my offensive, offensive ratings. I'm like, dude, this is like the top three in the league every year that I, I, I played. I'm like, okay, this is going to be my role, role now. Uh, I just got to make whoever in my team is a shooter. I just got to make him feel comfortable. You know, if you miss that shot, I'm going to go get it. Don't worry about it. Shoot it with, shoot it with confidence. So that was, that was my thing. So every time I go there now, man, I always tell him, like, listen, shoot the ball with confidence. If you miss, I'm going to go get it. I promise you, you know? You've so always that, been an efficiency machine. That's everywhere uh, you go. It's like, you're always a plus guy. It's important, man, because I've obviously, like I said, again, you got to know, know your role you got to know your weaknesses you got to know your uh, you know strengths just gotta uh, work on it and as we've been talking so much about basketball but your story your personal story has become an international sensation I remember listening to various interviews when everything was going down with Erdogan and just everything you've gone through on a personal level uh, how difficult has it been to share what has been happening because I'm from Ukraine so I understand the connection that we have to our homeland and you're in a position now where that connection has essentially been severed how difficult is that to share with the public I mean now like it's my tension league and there's like I play with so many different teams so many different coaches and players whenever they come into league the first team the first conversation I always have is like listen you got like 10, 15 years in the sleep if you take care of your body, if you're lucky. So try to make an impact as much as you, uh, you can. I'm not just talking on the court, but off the court too. Because when you're done with your career, you just don't want to only remember by your game. You know, looking back and say, okay, I, I averaged 20 points and 10 rebounds and eight offensive rebounds, whatever. It's cool and everything, but like you, it, it only affects you. You know, your stats only affects you. So I was like, I got to do something bigger than that, man, because I feel like this platform is given me by God. And I feel like I need to use it for, for good. 
I think when I started uh, using this platform, it was my, my third year in a league. And then I was like, okay, from now on, what can I do to, you know, bring awareness of what's going on? But not just the things that are happening in my country, you know, uh, but like things are happening all over the world. So like, if I see anything or anything wrong, I probably be the, like the first one to just stand up and just say uh, something about it. I'm not just uh, talking about like the Turkish, I'm talking about, you know, maybe feminism or human rights violations or things are happening in America, Black Lives Matter, this and that. Because if you call yourself a human rights activist, you cannot be focused on only just one thing. Yeah, I mean, to piggyback on that, you know, you're one of the few Turkish NBA players, so you'd think your game would be played all over the country instead of being censored. But obviously your criticism of the Turkish president has caused, you know, nightmares for you. You know, they revoke your passport and accuse you and your family of terrorism, causing a rift between you and your family. Fighting a cause you believe in without the outward support of your family while also being in a whole other country, that has to be a hard, lonely battle. Do you view it that way? For sure, man. I mean, everywhere you go, it's like, I mean, there is a threat that anything could happen. I was actually talking to the team security to today because two years ago, uh, I was staying in an apartment, right? And I talked to my people. They said, it's not safe. You got to move, move to a hotel. So I moved to a hotel because it's more secure. I mean, you got to you have a, you know, the key to get in the car to get in. There's securities everywhere and stuff. Two years ago, uh, I, I moved to an apartment, to a hotel. And when we were in a road game, the FBI came into my hotel room and set up this thing called panic button. Uh, I had a sit down and conversation with FBI and they said, whenever you feel uncomfortable, push that button and we'll be there in two, three minutes. And today I had a conversation with the team security again. So they, they're gonna come and set up that thing again in my in my room. So right now the whole season I'll be in a, I'll be in a hotel room. Obviously, when it does, it's tough. It's not easy when you're talking against the dictatorship and you get like threats, death threats almost every week. Obviously, affecting me and my and my family. But the one thing you need to do, man, is just this is affects millions of people. So it's like you gotta you gotta do that. So you're staying in a hotel room for the for how long? For the whole season. Wow, the whole season. Yeah, but I'm in a nice room. hotel room. It better be. I'm in a hotel room right now. This is a hotel TV. <laughs> I'm sitting in a hotel oh TV. God, that's worse than the bubble. I mean, I'm, I'm used to it now. Uh, used to just uh, living in these places that people can't get to me, or living in this place that it's safer than the, some of some of the other places. It's like I am not really allowed to get get a house because because it's really easy to get get into or get. Uh, they can really reach out to me uh, so, super easy. So like apartment are safe but it's still they don't really feel too comfortable so so the hotels are the best way so we just had some enormous news come out of the nba they are not going to be testing for marijuana this season so what are your thoughts what is my task i mean i never done it before i did not grow up doing it i'm the wrong guy to ask you know i never done it even if i'm around i get headaches you know and i hate doing it and i i hate not doing it, but like just being even around it, you know? Uh, I got a lot of stories, but I gotta keep that to myself. I can't just, I can't share that with the world, I'm sorry. <laughs> I got a lot of crazy stories though. Trust me, it's my 10th year in the league. Not involve me, but trust me, I got a lot of crazy stories. Uh, we just had Al Harrington on the pod and he actually has a cannabis company. And believe it or not, he never smoked until his seventh or eighth season, I forget, in the league when he was wow. part of the league team in Golden State. And then those guys brought him in a hotel and they were like, time to go, Al. 
Have you ever had a situation where the peer pressure almost got to you? No, never. I mean, they know they know my they know my boundaries. They know my lines. They never crossed it. I mean, all my teammates are really like really respected. You know, every team I play for, they always like respected my beliefs, respected my religion, and respected my uh, culture and everything. I never ever was in a situation that I'm like they pushed me to try anything. I know, but you know, one brown a brownie can look like a regular brownie until it's not. You know. Exactly. That, that, that I cannot control. I know, yeah. That I cannot control. And it's one of the main reasons I'm going to miss you in Boston is because of your sense of humor, mainly when it comes to impersonating Taco Fall. Taco has been a fan favorite in Boston like you have, right. you know, for his size and kind of his teddy bear aura. Is there a particular memory of Taco that you're going to value most going forward? He had a concussion one day because he's too tall. He cannot, he, I think he forgot the duck. And he hit his head in a, in a, I don't know, a door or I don't know, somewhere. And he had a concussion and he couldn't play any, even, he couldn't even play, play in practice for like a week or something. But uh, no, man, Taco's actually, people don't, like, don't know. Taco's like one of the smartest that played that play, play with high basketball IQ, the super uh, nice guy. Especially like during the uh, bubble, it was me, Jalen Brown, and the Taco Paul when, when, went to this like dinners and we talk a lot about like what can we do to bring more awareness obviously Taco's platform and Jalen Brown's platform is, is huge Taco man I mean people don't know but he talks a lot of trash he doesn't cuss but he talks a lot as a rookie I was like you talk a lot for a rookie and he's like he was just talking shy he's like I'm 24 years old I'm not really a 19 year old rookie well blah blah but whatever he's, he's a good dude man he's definitely one of my best friends in the league Another Celtic who just signed the max extension, Jason Tatum. What'd you think of him? How good is he? What's his ceiling? Man, I, I don't know. I don't know his ceiling. I don't know if he has a ceiling. Like, he could just go. The sky's the limit for him, man. But uh, you know, he's 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 a good dude, man. I, I like him a lot. Like, people always talk about how good of a player he is, obviously, but people don't know that how good of a teammate he is. You know, he always just try to help the young guys, try to make people better and around. Him and uh, one thing that I like uh, him the most is actually, you know, just he's uh, funny. You know, people think he's always quiet and stuff, but he makes a lot of jokes and stuff. So uh, I, I love being on his team. He was, he was a cool dude. When I was 19, I was like a total shithead, you know, and you just played a season where the star player was a teenager. Uh -huh. on, a, on a team when the, where the majority of players are in their mid to late 20s, is there like an uncomfort in handing over the reins to a guy who can't like legally drink a beer. It was actually funny. We did have some guys in our in the team that they were not allowed to drink, like Romeo. You know, yep, he was. I think it was like nineteen or twenty, and he wasn't even allowed to go out. Whatever. But I know no, it's, it's it's funny, man. Obviously, it's actually like a really big responsibility. You literally telling a guy to own the whole city, not the just organization, but to own the whole city when he when he's like what 19, 20 years old. So, like, I respect the guys like, I don't know, guys like, you know, Zion, guys like now this year's draft, guys like, you know, like uh, Tatum and stuff. So, it's a, it's a huge resp responsibility. What do you think about these guys at that age? I mean, you've been in the league for 10 years. You're a grown man at this point. But at that age, they're coming in with such a maturity now. Matt mentioned he was a shithead at 19. I was probably an even bigger shithead. To actually be the face of an NBA franchise – have a brand, taking care of your family. I mean, all the thing, all the responsibilities. What do you think about these guys and the heads they are coming in with now? It's tough, man. You gotta have good, good people around you. 
you know, because you come in here in a league on 19 and 20, they literally tell you to be the face of the whole uh, franchise. It's like everything you do, not because of the social media, because of all that stuff, you know, it's like people are like waiting for you to make a mistake so they can, you know, you do 100 good, th- good things, but you do one bad thing, the bad thing will be to talking the most, you know. Mm-hmm. So like everything you do, just watch out. And also your role model. Like you're 19 and 20, but you're still a role model. There's thousands of maybe millions of kids out there in the world that are idolizing you. So everything you do, man, just watch out. It's a big responsibility, but I think in the NBA and also MBPA, the Player Association, are doing this rookie transition camp, so they've been doing a really good job. I'm going to stop talking about Boston in a second here, but I'm a homer, so I can't help it. Gordon Hayward's career in Boston kind of started poorly with that gruesome injury and could never get in a rhythm for a sustained period of time after that. From a fan's perspective, it was obvious that he was in his own head. Was that something that he was open about? And in your opinion, was a fresh start for Gordon something that everybody around him saw coming? I mean, I was, I know, I played with Gordon, you know, when I first came in the league with Utah. So I know him really well. I mean, he just, it just injuries were, injuries are tough. You know, I felt, I was just feeling really bad for him because how he, he was so, like, beginning of last year, he was so focused. He wanted so bad to just go out there and try to hold, try to show the whole world and the whole NBA that, you know, it's like that big injury just is not going to affect him. But obviously, then he broke his hand and he uh, rolled his ankle in a bubble and stuff. So injuries are tough, man. But um, one thing about Gordon Ben, you know, he never gives up. You know, he never gives up of a, a trying. So I think just uh, with his uh, fresh start in uh, Charlotte, I think he's going to have an uh, amazing team. Good, good organization. Good, uh, you know, just he's going to bring a lot of uh, leadership. But obviously, that's, uh, I think this is 11 team in the league. I think guys like Melo and guys like all, all the young guys around him are uh, uh, going to benefit a lot. I fucking love Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook <laughs> is a guy that he's an 80s and 90s basketball throwback. He's a guy who wants to cut right. your throat on the court the way it those does. guys used to. <laughs> and you called him the best teammate you've ever had. Obviously, Russ is a polarizing figure in the NBA. Tell me, A, why he is the best teammate you ever had, but also, B, does he understand how polarizing he is and does he love to embrace it? I mean – First of all, I mean, you cannot blame him because, like, for him, it's like a war. Every time you go, he goes out there. You know, like, I came to Oklahoma City from uh, from Utah. And obviously, in Utah, I was just, like, this friendly guy saying hi and smiling to everybody and talking to every opponent that we play, play and stuff. First day in uh, Oklahoma City, I played with Russ. And obviously, I had so many teammates that are playing with their different teams. I was just talking to other people, and he looked at me, started cussing, and he started yelling, he's like, what are you doing? We are about to go to war, and you're trying to be friendly, you're smiling, this and that. So, like, no, that's mentality, man. I mean, he taught me a lot about just, you know, just going out there and just, just it's, it's like a war. It doesn't matter if you play against your brother, you play against whoever you are, you know. Your teammate, you can be friends, and you can go to dinner and do whatever after the game. But before the game, it's all about you and your team. But uh, one thing about, you know, Russell, they always talk about his one side, but like as any of his teammates, he's like one of the most actually funniest and chill dude you could, you could uh, find in, in the league. You know, he, it's, I always say this and people laugh, but like I had a story, uh, Sabonis was a rookie. His, one of his the rookie duties was bring Snapple in a plane every game. So uh, every uh, plane ride. 
at one time, like he brought a diet to snap. And Russ just sort of started to yell at him. He was like, what is this, man? What are you thinking? This doesn't taste like anything. But no, he, his teammates like, loves him, man. It's like, if you want to know Russell, you got to ask his teammates. You cannot be looking at the social media. You cannot be looking at what the other coaches are saying, what the, the, these people, fans or GM, whatever, saying. If you want to know who, who Russell is, you got to see, okay, you got to ask his teammates. In his defense, diet Snapple tastes nothing like actual Snapple. It's like Cheez-Its. The reduced fat ones, no thanks. The regular fat ones, I'm all in. So I'm, I'm well, on Team Russ on that Because with OKC, we used to go to this, like, so we used to go to the hotels, right? And OKC was, like, very professional. And it was, they were crazy about, like, dieting and whatever. So every hotel we go to, we were getting organic foods. Even, like, in a breakfast, lunch, everything was organic. Russell was ordering his unorganic food because he said organic food doesn't taste like anything or I don't know, something. <laughs> no, I mean, hey, it did not affect him. You look, you look at his body, you look at his performance. He, he is like, after maybe LeBron, I don't know, maybe even more than LeBron now, he is the most, one of the most athletic guys in, in the league. He just put a video on Instagram where he alley-oops it and then yeah, comes, and does the reverse. Yeah. What's the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen Russ do on a court? When I was with, with OKC, like, before he even like, stretched or get warm, right, when he, like, walked on the court, the first thing he does, he was just dunking the ball as hard as he could. You know, he was like, okay, I'm here. No, he's just, he just a freak, man. I don't know how to explain Russ. I think it's just it's his genetics. And I know it's not, it's not his diet, for sure. <laughs> no, his genetics are just freak, man. But... I cannot see him about Russ, man. I was just, I mean, I'm, I'm happy for my guest now because he reunited with uh, Scott now because uh, Scott was the coach when me and Russ was in OKC and they had an amazing relationship. So I think with uh, Russ and Scott now and now they got all the other guys, and, you know, uh, around and Bill and Bert Towns and all the, the other, other people, it's going to be a, a special year for him. Does Russ know that he's the meme king? Anytime something happens, you'll see a hundred Russell Westbrook memes on Twitter. Does he know that he is this meme god? I'm sure he does. He doesn't really like, he doesn't, he's not that crazy about social uh, media. You know, if I had his followers, I would be trolling so many people. But he's like, he's cool with it and everything. But uh, no, man, I'm sure, I'm sure he does. But like, he doesn't really pay attention to that, that stuff. I met him at, uh, I went to the All-Star game in, I think it was a few years ago and I met him and I took a picture with him. I went up, I was like, hey, can I take a picture with you? He just shakes his head and I just snapped it and he just didn't even look at me. I'm like, dude, thank you. That means everything to me. Just kept looking forward. I was like, I want you to be this way, you know? No, we had a lot of, maybe a lot of like, he was about to, I remember like the one time that he, I think uh, it was a viral video. He got in a fight with this uh, Utah uh, fan. There was so many, so many things that happened like that. He, had, he, I think one of the like the the fans we were playing against Denver, and one of the fans got up and touched him and looked around. I was like, okay, it's a kid, so he can't really say anything, <laughs> you know. I would have asked him. Billy, I think it was Philly. The guy was flipping him, and he just like looked turned around and told the ref, "Is like, what is this guy doing?" He's like, I, I remember, I remember a lot, man. But uh, hey. Listen, man, people are hating on him, but you don't see another player averaging triple-double three years in a row. Yeah. Get a 42 triple-double in a season. Show me another player. You cannot. Who's the last guy that did 20, 20, 20? 
I mean, he's an absolute animal. He's a physical and genetic beast. You're 100% right. I want to ask you, you mentioned Philadelphia about Joel Embiid because you've, you've traded some fun barbs with Joel. What are your thoughts about Joel on the court and off the court? I mean, on the court, I respect the guy a lot. I mean, you don't see a player that takes three or, I don't know how, three or four years off and comes back and play the way he plays. You know, obviously he, was, he is one of the best and most skilled players even out there. And, um, I mean, he's, he's cool. But uh, off the court, man, I mean, he, he used to, like, to troll people and he used to be so funny and everything. I think now it's like, now he has a family, he got a kid now. After that, I think he was like, okay, it's time to slow down a little bit. I, I liked it when he was uh, trolling people. It was uh, fun to follow. How much does that translate from Twitter to the court? So, for instance, if you get into it with somebody on Twitter, and obviously there's some shit talk that can go back both ways, when you see them on the court, is it like, all right, we're cool? Or is it like, I want to fuck you up? Like, what's it like? I would say it depends on what, ha- what went through on Twitter. If it's like really, really personal, because I see some crazy stuff that people talk to each other, you know? I'll probably say it depends on the conversation, you know? And it depends on the personalities. I mean, Gerald on the court, he doesn't, I mean, you'll, you'll say hi to him, whatever, but he's, you're going to go out there and, and try to like destroy you. You know, it doesn't matter. Whatever, but uh, I'm trying to think, I feel like the most guy that I will always talk is probably Steven Adams. You know, me and him always like trash talk each other. Whenever we play, play against them, it's like it, it's like a rest, it's not a basketball, it's like a, re- a wrestling match. You know, like you could hear like actually bones are, are cracking. We spoke with uh, Myers Leonard on the pod, and he said the strongest guy he's ever battled was Steven Adams. You said he was one of your best teammates ever, aside from Russ. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know he reached out to you with that passport debacle, but can you uh, let, let us in on your relationship with uh, Steve Adams and battling him in practice and on the? <laughs> I mean, it all started with like the the Stash brothers, because like, so we in America, I didn't know that obviously we did have this, this thing called like November No Shave November yeah, or November yeah. whatever. So like me and Steve was like, hey, let's do something weird, you know, let's do something crazy. So like we came to a game with a mustache on and people, OKC people loved it. And then I was like, okay, we're just going to keep it whole season now. It was like a one month period and we just kept it the whole season. But no, he's, he's, he's good, man. He's like, he's a real guy. It's like, not just on the court. Like if you're his teammate, ask any of his teammates, they will definitely point that he was, he was one of the best, you know, teammate they ever uh, played with. You know, always real, always keeps it 100%. And I think me and him helped each other a lot. You know, he was always like, you know, trying to help me with my defense. I was always trying to help him with, with, our, uh, with his offense. And then me and him was just going one-on-one almost every day. Because obviously, if you, if you can score on Steven, I think you can score on every big man in the league. One-on-one and post-defense, he's the best, you know. So, like, I think going against him, like, every day uh, made me a, the, definitely a better offensive player. We had Kenny Smith on the pod, and he had some very interesting views about today's NBA. He pretty much told us Michael Jordan would average 50 today. But he also talked about how scoring, in his words, was very easy because there's no real big men the way we had him in the 80s yeah. and 90s. As a big man yourself, what are your thoughts on Kenny Smith's comments? No, 100%, man. Like, cause, like, you see, like, now like all the big men want to pick and pop. And all the big men want to shoot now, you know. It's like it's it's so weird because now I look at like the 80s and 90s and 2000s, whatever. 
Like you got some like real big man playing in the paint. But now it's like game changed so much. Like I feel like that is one of the biggest reasons that I get like, like you know, so many offensive rebounds because all the bigs just don't want to get hit, you know? Or the older, like the young guys come in the league, they either don't don't know how to get hit or they don't want to get hit. You know, they just all they want to do is just pick and pop, shoot the ball, put the ball on the floor. I mean, tell me one guy that plays back to basket besides maybe Jokic and Embiid, you know? Speaking of Jokic, why, you know, you look at someone like him and the guy looks like he just walked out of a bar. I mean, he's kind of like, you know, flappy and just, he's not, doesn't look like he's even in shape, but yet he's arguably the best center in the league. What, what do you think Jokic would be like if he actually got in the weight room and got in shape? I have, you know what? It would be scary, man. I don't want to see that part. Because, like, I mean, I, two years ago, we played him in a, a seven-game series, you know? And uh, that guy looked like, like, like you said, like he just got out of bar, just out of shape. But, like, you look at his number out of the game, he got, like, 20 and 15 and 10. I'm like, when, how do you get that, you know? No, but he just, his skill level is unbelievable, man. I'm sure, like, his teammates is just, like, in a heaven to just play with that guy. Because he just like it's so hard to just. I mean, obviously he's a good player. It's like we don't bring him no double team that he's gonna score the ball. And if you bring him the double team, he's gonna find open man. It's just he makes the game like very simple. But I think you no, know, he's he's very talented man. Now he got that little turn around with the wrong foot, right foot and shot. It's just like who does that, you know? I mean, he's got, like, the ugliest game on the planet. Do you guys – does does their talk behind the scenes, even though the guy's a stud and statistically he's a stud, but do you guys as players say, man, that was the ugliest freaking shot I've ever oh, seen? Yeah. Not just him, but, like, like this, there's some, like, players I'm not – I don't want to start a beef, so I'm not giving them no names. But, like, they like <laughs> some of the shots they take and some of the things they do, I'm like, what is this? But he goes in. If it goes in, man, it doesn't matter. You try to score the ball with your head. If it goes in, it's, it's good, you know? It's been reported that in your nine NBA seasons, you've amassed more money and salary than Michael Jordan in his six, 16 seasons. I mean, you never know. It looks like you're at a best Western there. <laughs> but is there, is there anything that you're willing to splurge on? Yo, that, was, that was wild because, like, I looked at it. I'm like, I got $2.1 billion with a B dollars in a bank account. And I was like, mm, how did I know about that? Why did I not know about that? You know, it's like, it's weird. No, it was, it was funny, man. I think they meant to talk about Michael Jordan and I, I, obviously they accidentally put my name or I think the guy's doing it is not as English, is not his first language. I don't know, but it came out that I got 2.1 billion. I'm like, I'll take it. No, I think in, in salary. Yeah, I saw that two point one billion, but you're at like you were at like ninety eight million, and he was at like ninety three or something. This was as of last year. That's wild. <laughs> That's wild. All of a sudden, Ennis puts pulls out his checkbook. He's like, "Let me show you what's in my checking account <laughs> That's right wild, now." Yeah. <laughs> does it does that blow your mind as a kid from Turkey? I mean, Europe's a whole different animal. To be here and to have made 90-plus million dollars in salary, like what goes through your head when you hear something like that? I feel like, like the first thing that comes, out to, comes to my mind is blessed, you know, because I feel like you can be, you can be doing a lot of things with that money. I'm not just talking about for myself, but for uh, others, you know. I think, you know, the one thing, like I said again, if I'm in this 
position and the situation it gives given about by God. So I feel like just God giving me a, a message and say, okay, I give you that much, just give it back. Just give it back to the community, give it back to people who needs it. And um, yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. As you continue to essentially get to the finish line of your career, do you start thinking about life after basketball? Because you have such a great personality and you've become Who's so yeah, so what, like, what, what's the game plan? What are you thinking about what happens next? Uh, so what happens next? I don't know how long I'm, I'll be playing this game. I mean, I hope for, another, I don't know, four or five or whatever years, if my knees or my body can uh, take a basketball, basketball life. But uh, other than that, um, WWE's ready. You know, as soon as I'm, I'm done here, I'm yeah. definitely, I'm, I'm actually like, like super excited about it. Like people think like, I'm like, whenever I talk about it, I'm like, I joke about it, whatever. No, I'm actually like, really serious about it because I mean when I couldn't play college when NCAA the dictatorship NCAA uh, didn't let me play, play basketball and obviously that was one of my hobbies that uh, you know play, uh, just watch uh, wrestling and um, it was fun and I got to meet Undertaker when he was in with, with the Knicks uh, when I was with, with, uh, with the Knicks and I was like you know what I think this is going to be my life after this and I'm, I'm, I'm already talking to uh, some of the people over there you know like Paul Heyman I met with Wisman McMahon when I won a, a title with uh, 24-7 champ and stuff. So like uh, Triple H said, make sure you keep my uh, phone in your uh, my number in your phone. So like, hey, uh, it's, it's uh, ready. Do you have a stage name picked out? <laughs> Actually, one of my assistant coach told asked me today, like, so what is your stage name going to be? I told him like Turkish delight. Oh, he said, so he's <laughs> so he started to laugh and like I think it's too soft for I think it's a little too soft. You know, I gotta I gotta find something. Uh, some actually Nick Nick Collison said uh, Aniston Menace, but I think it might be a little too cheesy. Yeah, I like the Turkish delight. You know, you speak with your body and your personality. You don't speak with your name. I like that. Oh so, uh, yeah, that I think that's the game plan. I, I, if I can do this till I'm forty, and if I'm taking can do it till fifty two, whatever years old. And I can do to 40, then I'm going to do that to 40. And then I'm thinking about going get, get into our, our politics, American politics. You'd mentioned The Undertaker, and he just closed out his career, arguably the most iconic career in WWE history. What did The Undertaker mean to you? The first thing, when I think about Undertaker, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is WrestleMania, his wild numbers that he went... Uh, just insane on, on people. But I think just one thing about him, he's like I'm trying to think about a basketball player in the NBA that just had that kind of like career that Undertaker had. But it's like, no, what, what Undertaker means to WWE is like nothing like you can ever, you know, explain with words, you know. It's like people, uh, whenever I met him first, my knees were just shaking. You know, I was like super excited, super nervous at the same time. And I actually have a video of me and him and him doing the eye roll thing. And I thought it was fake, but I realized it's not fake. It's real. It was just super cool. He actually did it right there for you? Just busted yeah, out? Let, let me show it to you. It's actually my phone. It's actually my phone. By the way, this is the shit that I love. When you have a professional NBA player who millions of people worship geeking out over someone else like a WWE star. We're all kids at heart. I fucking love no, it. But it's, it was, trust me, man. I was like, my knees were shaking for the first time I met him. I'm like, dude, this is like, 
nothing like I ever experienced before. Meanwhile, you're pro- he's a big boy too. He's like I think six eight. He's not a small guy. He asked me like, "How old are you?" I told him, "It's like I am 20. So back then I was like twenty six. It's like I got boots older than you. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> a legend. Yeah, this is amazing, man. So I, th- I thought it was fake, but I think it's real. Oh shit! <laughs> Man. How the fuck does he do that? <laughs> isn't that, isn't that wild? Let watch it again. Yeah, this is amazing, man. So I, th- I thought it was fake, but I think it's real. That is awesome, oh, man. That God. is. I, 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 I'm dying to know the moment that he realized he could do the eye roll. I'm dying. <laughs> like, I thought, I thought it was fake. I thought he was like losing like the contact lens. I don't know, like the white lens, whatever. I don't know. He was using some kind of weird stuff. But no, he just actually can can do it. Wow. I actually have a, I have, it's a genetic thing. Hold on. Can you see that? Oh, that God. is very pretty, weird too. Yeah, pretty, pretty, my dad does it too. Weird. I do it when I'm I feel very, unco- very uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm going to the <laughs> WWE. Like, we're going to end this out. interview right there. <laughs> <laughs> no, we got to keep it alive. Oh, I, I do have a couple more questions for you. Because oh, yeah, you keep play, going. We're not done. You've played in the Eastern Conference. You've played in the Western Conference. You know, you've played for or against every team in the league. What building is the toughest to get a win, and is there any fan base that you just despise? I think the toughest to go against was Golden State Arena, and you know, I just I hate that arena. I'm glad it changed because it was just every time I walk in that arena, it's just bad memories. I mean, obviously, you guys know that we were up by three one, and they came back and beat us four three. Yeah. And every time I walk in that arena, it just brings back bad memories, man. I I hate playing that arena, you know. The fan base, uh, though, they, they don't, they're not a real rabid fan base. No, the fan base, I'm trying to think, was tough. Utah is tough. Oh, Utah fans are tough. They're you evil. Know, they just, every, yeah, they're evil. Every, they, go, they go for the I don't want to say evil. because they, they, They're nice people. They're Mormons, so they're really, really nice people. Yeah, but they got I like pent-up rage, though, you know, because they're but Mormons. Once they walk into an arena, man, they, they personality changes. They yell. They say, here's what crazy thing happened. So I got a beef with the Utah fans, obviously. And uh, I remember, like, I went back to Utah, and I'm playing, I'm playing it. Every time I touched the ball, they, they would boom me. So the game stopped. I heard this guy yelling on the stands. Like, it was a long time ago. When Trump got elected, he's going to kick you out of the country. I'm like, oh, my God, that is too much. Anyway, it was too much. At one point, it was like, I'm like, okay, this is, like, wild, you know? Yeah, they've done that to Russ too. They've gotten like really chirpy with him, like over the yeah. line type stuff. Russell fucks someone up. That's the difference. Like Russ is the type who's just gonna rip someone's right, right, out. right. Have you, because of religion or culture, do you have to? Do you get beat up a lot with trash talk? Uh, well, no. Well, most of the time, when people, uh, especially one thing I love about America is like, you know, there was a respect. You know, especially with my teammates. I mean, we got people from the different cultures, religions, countries, and different colors, whatever. But what we do is we leave our differences on the table and try and find what we have in common. And that makes us a better friend and better, better you know, better teammates. And we go out there and talk about talk one language and it's better basketball. You know, sometimes they ask me a lot of questions about, like, why don't you drink this? Why don't you eat this? Why do you do this? Why don't you go here and stuff? But, like... I, there's so many times that I sit down in my, you know, hotel room and start reading Bible, start reading, you know, Book of Mormon because I was with Utah. So I could understand my teammates 
better. I couldn't understand the fans better. So whenever we have a conversation, we can have a healthier uh, uh, Q&A. Actually, I want to talk to you about the Knicks because I, you, didn't, you weren't able to enjoy success in Madison Square Garden. But anytime we get to talk to people, they talk about the experience of playing at MSG. Oh, yeah. What is it like for you guys to actually play at MSG? You know, I play with every arena, step the center, go this and that, but there's nothing like Garden. You know, it's like there was so many games that like, so we they got this thing called Celebrity Row. Every, like some some games, like we were down by 20, 30, obviously. And then like, I was just start watching the game. I was just like, okay, which celebrity came today? You look at like, okay, Jimmy Fallon came, or Ben Stiller came, Shakira came one time, or like a lot of the soccer players came, like move most famous uh, soccer players but it's good man it's just, like, like i said again people should feel very lucky to play for, for that organization because of the city the one of the biggest market the garden fans it's uh, pretty amazing yeah i remember you kissing the court there have you uh, i gotta ask this because we asked baron davis i believe the same thing have you seen james dolan's band live i have not no you know he has a band he's like the oh, front yeah, yeah. guy in a in a band yeah, yeah. really yeah, yeah, he's. You know, How do you, you not don't know? know? I can't believe you he don't was, know this. He was your signing hey, your paychecks. Yeah, How do you not know this? Let me tell you something, man. I know about it, but like me and James are actually very cool. But we text each other as stuff, so I don't want to say nothing against them. Oh, all right, all right. Wait a minute, you're text buddies with James Dolan? That <laughs> is so cool. It's like no, no. Me and him are actually cool, and whenever I say this to people, people are like, "What? Really?" I was like, "What do you guys talk about?" No, I, I text him like sometimes. I say, hey, congratulations on your draft pick. Good luck with the season and this and that and everything. So, like, me and James are all cool. And he's like, how come you haven't come to my concerts? I've been inviting you every day for two years. <laughs> yeah, I heard he's a musician. Never been at a concert, but I heard he's a musician. It's funny because anytime I hear from celebrities who are friends with him, everyone says he's the best behind the scenes and yet he gets so much shit from the new york press and obviously the franchise has been at the bottom for a long time but i hear from personal Trust friends me, yeah once they turn around man like i don't i hope they because i mean obviously it'll be really good for the nba when the knicks have a good season it's like there's nothing like it you know so like when they have a good season trust me they're, they're gonna forget about like the previous uh, season. So they're, they're going to care, care about that season. So like, I hope now they draft a really good guy this year. They're building a, uh, they're going to build around uh, some, some of the people. So it's going to be exciting for the season for them. You've obviously been in America for years now, but I'd have to imagine when you came over from Turkey, there was some culture shock. Are there any idiosyncrasies or the way Americans do things that were completely insane to you? The, yeah. I mean, the craziest thing I was like, so like I, Love cereal, and that's like like my especially in my mornings. Like I, it's very light, so it's like you don't really have to prepare because I don't know how to cook, so you don't have to really prepare the, a lot. So I was in a high school, I was in a prep school. So like I woke up in the morning, I'm so I was staying with my teammates. I'm eating a cereal, but one of my teammates came and started to like the laughing, and he was like laughing hard. And I asked him like, "What happened?" He's like, "What are you eating?" I'm like, "I'm eating a cereal." They pick up the box and say, this is not a cereal. So it's a cheese it box. So I thought the cheese it that you guys, that you guys had, right? I thought it was a cereal box. So I put it there, put that in a bowl, put some milk in it, started eating it. It was tasting funny because it was like obviously salty. And the guy's like, listen, dude, like I'm not going to tell this to anybody, but this is not a cereal. You don't eat this with milk and pour, pour it in a bowl. 
you know so he was like that was like the one thing i'm like okay this is i gotta get like the use some of the things that are happening you know in america so this is not turkey but no man i had an amazing time man obviously i'm, I'm glad that i had this i had a prep school experience i had a college experience which is i, I couldn't get to play it was a it was a good, good, good run for me what was your reaction the first time you saw Giannis once he became Giannis? Like when he became that, that the dude? Uh, I remember first time he was coming to the league, he was just like skinny dude, long arms, skinny dude. And um, he was skilled. He wasn't that skilled, obviously, but he was like, he could put play. I remember playing against him. The coach was saying, was like, listen, don't, under, under, uh, don't underestimate him. He could play. And we were like, okay. You know, he was putting up some okay uh, numbers, but then it was like, there was one summer that he came back. He was like, he like transformed. It was like so weird. I'm like, how did you get that to that? You know, but uh, obviously that shows uh, how, how, how hard he, uh, he works uh, every uh, summer. No, man, I'm just proud of him because it, it just as an international uh, player, whenever a player from, especially from Europe comes and plays like him or Luca and all these people and it just, gets me excited because, I mean, this, that shows that, you know, international uh, basketball game is not bad. How hard is it to get discovered as an international player? Obviously, when you're Luca, they know about you from when you're 12 yeah. years old. But Giannis has a totally different story. A random scout saw him somewhere in Greece. Right, playing right. Like this. So how hard is it to actually get discovered and make it to the league? I mean, you got so many things that are happening. You got under 16, under 18, under 220. You got national teams. You got EuroLeague, EuroCup, school teams, and everything. So, like, you got so much things going on. So, for him to, like, you know, just like to become this, it's very special. He has, like, a really good life story that he could tell to his uh, grandkids. But, um, no, it's, it's a tough man because then there's so many, like, it's not like NBA. You got, like, all this, like, under 16 and 18 and 20, uh, all these things. But, like, but now I think, like, with the scouts, or, uh, I, guess, I guess, like, people like, you know, Giannis and Luca now they, they pay attention to more uh, what's going on over there. When was the moment you knew you were going to be a pro? Like, what was the moment where you knew I'm going to be in the NBA one day? When I, when I came to America, first time I played, you know, uh, prep, you know, high school basketball. Because I came, I, I played professional when I was 16 years old. I came in America and I was literally playing against kids, you know? And I'm like, really? This is it? Back then, like when I was overseas, I was going against guys like 34, 35 years old, like grown men. So I came here, I was playing against kids. And at was one point, I was so tired of scoring, I missed it on purpose. And I was just like, this is like, this is so easy. But then I was like, okay, I, I, I could become a, a pro. That's an amazing story because that's what people don't realize about Luca. When Luca was dominating in Europe at like 16, 17, and people were questioning whether he could transition here, it's like, guys, he's playing against beasts over there as a kid already. It's like, do you right. understand how good he is? Right. I know for sure, man, for sure. I'm, 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 I'm excited about Luca, man. If I could pick one guy to build around in NBA, it would be uh, Luca right now. Who's the toughest cover you've had as a player throughout your career? I think James Harden. Really? James Harden, James Harden is toughest to guard for sure. I mean, what were you doing covering James Harden? He got isolated. Pick and roll, pick baby. And, pick and roll. Yeah. Pick and roll. <laughs> Trust me, it is tough. It is very tough. But uh, no, I mean, probably say K KD or, uh, or uh, James Harden. How ridiculous is KD? You got to see that up close. What's he like? This dude, this dude is like same height as me and it plays point guard. And there's no, I mean, he's going to, it doesn't matter what kind of coverage you guys you, you do, you're going to get a 30 no matter what. 
He's just that good. You're like, are do you sit okay, back? Because it's, it's it's like it's it's like impossible. To, how how do you even guard a six ten six eleven guy? He plays a point guard, and we want to guard him with. There's no six ten six eleven. Besides like Giannis or a couple of players, there's not a guy that can guard him like that. So, are there ever moments for you, Ennis, where you're just like? I don't belong in this league. Like you're just like these. Some of these guys are so insanely good. What am I doing here? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. Maybe. Maybe in a couple of years, but not yet. Ennis, we're gonna get you out of here. But before we do, do you have anything to say to the heartbroken Boston fans like myself? Just believe in that team. Obviously, now they're building something very special. Uh, and I think a few years they're definitely going to be. I mean, not a few years this year and going forward. That every year they're. Contender for a championship, but uh, they're building around people who are really good guys, good characters. That's what it matters. And so it's like, uh, trust them. They're going to do some very special things. Before I let you go, Ennis, one of the things I love most about you is you just have a huge personality on the court, and you've even been compared to Bond villains. Is there one thing that's been said to you that like is your favorite in terms of comparison, compliment, insult that just sticks with you? God, I have no, I'm trying to remember, but I have no idea. Nope, I have no idea. But, but, oh, well, one time, actually, when we were uh, playing against Wizards, Marching Gortat asked me, like, dude, uh, are you, are you going to be able to, like, travel uh, to, uh, travel to Europe? I'm like, nope, because of, like, obviously the, the Turkish uh, uh, issues. Like, we had a conversation while we were playing a game. It was a little weird. While we are, while, while, while I was guarded, he was asking me about this conversation. It was a little weird, but uh, it's good. <laughs> uh, and as Cantor, Portland Trailblazer, dude, all the, all the best of luck going forward. It was an awesome to talk to you. Thanks for joining Thank us. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, Ed. It's a great interview, man. Thank Take you care. so Hey, much. upgrade Thank that room. Upgrade that room in that Best Western, dude. You got the money. The, I know. I know. The, the team is paying for it right now, so the, 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 the upgrade is not an issue. <laughs> Thanks so much, Ennis. Have a great weekend. Good luck this season. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. All right, folks. That was Portland Trailblazer Center, Ennis Cantor. Matt, I think we can both agree. I absolutely fucking love that guy. Although, I think we need to talk to him about using some of that $90 million to upgrade hotels when he's on the road. I mean, I know in the bigger cities, they usually throw him in a Ritz-Carlton or Four Seasons. I'm not sure where he was, but it definitely looked like he was in a Best Western. And he could have at least found the Marriott wherever that city was, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that... He's a, he seems like a man of simple pleasures, which is kind of an admirable quality. But yeah, that someone definitely died in that hotel room. It looked like because that that thing looked you know bottom of the barrel. They they that look that hotel room looked like you could rent it by the hour. Trailblazers are doing him dirty or something there. Well, he's got to go back to your Celtics, Matt. Although now that he played for the Celtics and you're a fan of his, do you have a little bit of a soft spot for the Blazers now that he's there? I always have, actually. I I, I like Dame. I like CJ McCollum. I want them to like succeed and like I love Ennis. Like, and they've always kind of been on the cusp, but never been able to push through. And I think having them they're at that point where if they don't do it this year i'll not like them anymore like you can only be there for so long and fail for me to like be like all right you deserve to be you you don't deserve the credit you've been getting even to come this far so if this is their year if they do it i'm a trailblazers fan for life or for a few months 
I mean, I got to say, as much as I love Ennis, they're in the Pacific Division playing against my lifelong loves, the Lakers. So I'm looking for a back-to-back from Braun and AD and that whole team this year. So Ennis, I love you, baby. But I can't have you have a good year, especially against the Lake Show. So good luck. Arthur, I got a question for you. When the Lakers, you know, inevitably hit a dry spell and a down three, four, five years, and let's say the Clippers spark up and they're at the top and they get the best player of the day, are you going to flip-flop and go from Lakers to Clippers? Say it right now on the Endless Hustle Airwave so we have it for posterity purposes. I have been a Lakers fan through the good and the bad since I was six years old. I went through some very, very tough Kobe years at the end where we were barely scratching anything. I think we were winning like 14 games. I saw that through and they're my boys. They're my boys, Blue. Um, I'm going to be a Lakers fan till I die. It, I grew up loving Magic, Kareem, Worthy, the Showtime Lakers. I had posters. I had coats. Then I had Shaq and Kobe and that dynasty. Then I had Kobe and Powell. Then I had the lean Kobe years. And then LeBron, who I was never a fan of, came there and made me somewhat of a fan of his. And then they won this year in the bubble, which was an extraordinary win. I'm going to be a fan till the day I die. So no, no Clippers fandom. Can't stand them. Always Lakers. And uh, let's go LA. We'll see when it's just Mark Keith Morris and Mark Gasol. We'll see if you're, if you're changing your tune. All right, guys. So that was Ennis. Um, needless to say, Matt, our next guest on Tuesday needs no introduction, but we'll give him one anyway. He is one of the most famous baseball players and hitters in New York baseball history. I think that's a pretty fair statement. Mr. Daryl Strawberry is joining us for an incredible hour on the show next week. And uh, it was pretty awesome. <laughs> fucking straw i loved it it was great yeah i mean talk about a guy he's he's cut from the ryan lee vein where he's like he's been to that darkness and he's come back as you know as pure as can be so i think it's really interesting just to kind of see the juxtaposition between who he was during his playing days and you know kind of the god-fearing man he is today and i thought that was really great and as a you know you're a baseball you were a huge fan of his so it was great to hear you guys kind of spar back and forth about about baseball stuff yeah daryl was awesome and just getting his take on the current state of baseball the great 80s mets teams the 86 world series team the steve cohen purchase of the mets i mean we dug into it all i think people are going to really enjoy this chat with a legend and an icon especially when it comes to new york and a guy who has one of the most unique and troubled histories in baseball, but also is using that as a platform to help people now. I I think people are going to really enjoy this. I do as well. Don't forget to subscribe to the Endless Hustle on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you pod. You can follow Endless Hustle on Twitter at Endless Double Underscore Hustle and on Instagram at Endless Hustle Pod. You can follow my personal account at Mr. Kohan, K-E-O-H-A-N. That's on Twitter and on Instagram. And I'm at Arthur Cade on Twitter and at It's Me, Arthur Cade on Instagram. Thanks again for always supporting, for listening. Be sure to follow all of our socials as we put out tons and tons of content from these interviews. And uh, we'll see you Tuesday. Daryl Strawberry. Peace.